I invite you to open your copy of God's Word today to John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 will be the, uh, where we'll put the attention uh, uh, of our minds this morning. We are now in week uh, four of this sermon series on salvation. We began with election and then uh, to atonement. And last week we looked at the aspect of our salvation, of calling, of God calling sinners to himself. And today we look at the facet of our salvation known as regeneration. Now, if you do, as I did, a Google image search for regeneration, you will find all sorts of images pop up, mostly at the beginning, starfish geckos, planaria, or flatworms. You may have played around with those in your biology class in school. Eventually, you scroll down far enough, you even see images of Doctor Who. He pops up everywhere. The idea of regeneration, if we just throw in a Google image search, throws us these things back because these are animals, these are creatures, these are fictional characters who regenerate. A starfish has an arm cut off, he grows a new one. Uh, A salamander or a gecko has their tail or a leg cut off, he grows a new one. Planaria, those little flatworms that you played with in your biology class, you can cut them in half, you can cut them into thirds, and you can turn one planaria into three. Or you can take a one-headed planaria, slice it right down the middle of its body, and turn it into a two-headed planaria, which I did successfully in biology. Aren't you proud? (laughs) Doctor Who regenerates at the end of certain life cycles. He he develops a new body. He comes with a new new face and, and kind of a new personality that comes with it. Regeneration looks like this in the world, but regeneration does not look like that in Scripture. So when we talk about salvation and the, the as, this aspect of our salvation called regeneration, we're not talking about growing something new, regrowing an appendage that was previously lopped off, adding on to something uh, to our body, something that was previously lacking. That's not what we're talking about. Regeneration, put more plainly, is what we, what we mean when we talk about being born again. The idea of, or the concept of regeneration as a part of our salvation comes to us in Scripture this way. If we could define regeneration, it would be like this, that regeneration is the work of God to bring about spiritual life in the hearts of those that He saves. Regeneration is the work of God to bring about spiritual life, to to bring life where there wasn't any in the hearts of those that he saves. Now, we'll see this in this very famous chapter of John's gospel, John chapter 3. And as we do, I would hope that we would come this morning to trust only in the work of God to bring us to spiritual life. And you see that this is a work that God does, not something that we bring about. And being born again, being regenerated by God through faith in Jesus, we should live by trust in God with hearts renewed by Him. So I invite you to stand with me then as you're comfortably able, as we honor God by reading His Word. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. There John, carried along in the Holy Spirit, recalls this event in the life of Jesus. He writes... Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word. You may be seated. Regeneration, being born again, is the work of God to bring about spiritual life in the hearts of those that he saves. So what do we learn about regeneration, about being born again from John chapter 3? Well, first of all, regeneration comes by God's initiative. Regeneration is God's work. Being born again is a work that God does in the lives of believers. That regeneration is, first by God's initiative, is evident to us in the way that Jesus talks about this matter with Nicodemus. And, and even in the way that Nicodemus struggles to understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells Nicodemus, if anyone is to see the kingdom of God, he must be born again. In Greek, John writes this, Genethe anothen, born again. To be born uh, again is not just to be born once more. That Greek adverb anothen, again, can also mean from above. And I think Jesus means this both ways. You must have new life imparted to you, and it's a new life that comes to you only from God who is above. You must be born again from above. And I think it helps for us to keep that in mind as we think about regeneration. You must be born again from above. We must have spiritual life given to us from God if we are to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus only understands this as a natural sort of birth. He asks the question of Jesus, can a man really, when he's old, enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again? to which Jesus doubles down on the strange image. Nicodemus is thinking born again. He's thinking of Ganethe Anothen only as one more time, being born one more time, not from above. So Jesus doesn't answer Nicodemus's question. He just doubles down on what he said the first time. Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What I told you, Nick, is what I told you. Being born from above by water and the Spirit here... Uh, later in this in their conversation is what being born again means that's how jesus defines genethe anothen being born again from above being born of water and the spirit but for some of us who are reading this and maybe coming to john chapter 3 apart from any context from the rest of the bible we might be kind of confused about what jesus is talking about nicodemus is seeking clarity on the issue of what it means to be born again and it doesn't feel like jesus has made that any clearer Does Jesus mean, when he says water in the Spirit, does he mean literal water, like in baptism? Like someone someone has new life given to them when they come up out of the waters of baptism. Or does he mean water in the sense of like physical birth, like when a a pregnant mother's water breaks before going into labor? Is that what Jesus means? For decades and most of my life, I've seen other Christians and myself struggle to understand, Jesus, what do you mean by water and the Spirit? 
And I was helped this week by the commentary of Craig Keener, a biblical scholar. He's, a, he's got a massive two-volume commentary on John that I would not recommend for most of you to read unless you have trouble sleeping at night. But in his commentary on John chapter 3, being born of water and the Spirit, he points us to another place of Scripture that I think helps to explain exactly what Jesus is talking about. This idea of being born again by water, being born again from above through water and the Spirit is actually far clearer and more biblically rooted than we might expect. We don't have to search too hard to find out what Jesus is actually talking about here. See, about 600 years before this moment in Jesus' life with Nicodemus, there was a prophet born to the people of Israel by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was among those uh, members of the people of Judah who was sent into exile in Babylon, and he was called by God to speak a word, to be a spokesman for God to the people as they were there in in exile. And while they were there in exile, Ezekiel received visions and messages from God that he was to declare to the people. And in Ezekiel chapter 6, we read these words. God speaking to the people who are in exile about a coming hope, a new day for them, a day of life and freedom back in the land. Ezekiel 35, verse 36, verses 25 through 28. You'll see them on the screen behind me. Ezekiel says this, uh, speaking for the Lord. The Lord says through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. This passage in Ezekiel 36 has parallels both in Jeremiah, another prophet of the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, and in Joel, uh, one of the minor prophets, not minor because he's less than significant, just minor because his prophecy was shorter, Joel chapter 2, which both have promises from God to renew the hearts of his people and to put his spirit within them. Not just to have his spirit rest on them, not just to have his spirit fill them for a time, but to have his spirit dwell in them. Now, these passages taken together, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, Joel 2, all comprise the beginning, the the looking forward to of a new covenant day, a day when God would, would bring a new covenant to bear when his Messiah, who is Jesus, comes. So notice what God says he'll do in that new covenant day in Ezekiel 36. He will sprinkle clean water on his people, which is a figurative way of speaking about cleansing them from sin. Right? It's not literal water that God's going to sprinkle on them like rain from the heavens. It's just a way of saying, I will cleanse you from your sin. And what else will God do? He'll put a new heart and a new spirit within them. Sprinkle them with water, give them a new spirit. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, Nicky, you got to be born of water and the Spirit. He's pointing Nicodemus, who, by the way, is among the rulers of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. He's an expert in the law of God, in the word of God. He's an expert in the scriptures. When Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit, what he's saying to Nicodemus is, Nick, I'm not saying anything you haven't heard before. I'm pointing you right back to that new covenant promise of Ezekiel 36. Pick up what I'm putting down here, Nick. Unless God works a miracle of spiritual renewal in you, unless he cleanses you from your sins and puts a new heart and a new spirit, unless he puts his spirit in you, 
Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you get it? The idea that regeneration or being born again from above comes only by God's initiative is evident in the fact that Jesus says you have to be born again from above. This is something only God can do. And it's something that God has promised that only he could do in the lives of his people. But it's also evident that regeneration is a work of God's initiative in the metaphor of birth that Jesus uses. You must be born again. He doesn't say you have to have a, a, something new and miraculous happen within you that you can't explain and you don't know where it comes from. And you, right? he, he doesn't explain it in, in a kind of ephemeral sort of abstract terms. He says you've got to be born again. That metaphor of birth is, is helpful for us, I think, in understanding that, that this happens by God's initiative and not by the one who is born again. Surely what baby ever conceived itself in her mother's womb? What infant ever scheduled his own delivery date? No child ever delivers himself in the labor and delivery room, and no child ever had anything to do uh, with their birth but passively receive the love and the care from her mother and her father and her doctors. Birth is an entirely passive event for the infant. So just as physical birth is passively received when we are born, we receive birth. We don't born ourselves, birth ourselves. So also is the new birth that comes from above by God through his spirit received passively by the individual. It's not something that we do for ourselves, that we earn for ourselves. It's something that we place ourselves in a position of faith and trust to receive from God as he renews us by his Holy Spirit in ways that Jesus says are not seen. We don't see somebody be born again. Their face doesn't suddenly glow differently. They don't grow a third or a fourth arm, right? There's not, you know, the effects of regeneration are not physically visible to the eyes at the moment that it happens, but it's like the wind, Jesus says. We don't see where it comes from or where it's going, but it's most certainly felt, and it's consciously recognized. Jesus teaches us first that regeneration comes by the initiative of God. It's a work of God. This sermon series is called Salvation, subtitled God's Wonderful Work. It's what God does so also is being born again. Understand this morning, friends, that being born again is not tied to actions that you have performed, but to the gracious work of God in you. There's a tendency, at least out in the culture uh, and in media, to speak about Christians, certain kinds of Christians, as being born-again Christians. As though being born again were some sort of label you slap on your t-shirt when you go to a polling place or you engage in some sort of public survey. What kind of Christian are you? Oh, I'm a born again Christian. Uh, Somehow indicates what sort of church you go to or what happens when you worship or something like that. But not in the context of scripture. Being born again is not a, a label or a thing that we place on ourselves. Being born again doesn't happen when you walk down a, a sawdust trail at a big tent revival and pray with a pastor. It's not tied to these actions that we do. It's tied to the work of God in us. So Christian, if you have been looking to a particular event in your life, something that you did, maybe even a baptism that you went through, and you're saying, that's how I know I was born again because I did this. Friend, you've misunderstood being born again. You've misunderstood regeneration. It's something that we receive, not something that we do. It's something that we, we passively take in from God as a gift of his grace, not anything that we bring about by our own efforts. Regeneration is the gracious work of God taken by his initiative. But we also learn from what Jesus says in John 3 and other places of Scripture 
That regeneration, being born again from above, is the beginning of a new life. It's something God that, that God does in us, and He does it to bring about new life in us. The start of a new spiritual life is really what regeneration most directly implies for us, what being born again from above, what it means. There's, there's new life taking place. To be born again is to have God gift you, to gift us with a new heart, with a new will, with new desires, with a new disposition, a new orientation on life. He gives us a new heart, a new will, a new disposition that delights in pursuing Him and finding joy in walking in righteousness. To be born again, to be regenerated is, as Paul says in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2, to go from spiritual death to life. Listen how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. One of these days I'll preach through Ephesians, I promise. It may take me 40 years, but it's just so good. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you, he's writing to the church, remember, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, speaking about the influence of Satan in the world, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Catch the picture that Paul is giving to us here that, that Jesus also gives to us in John chapter 3. That if in the sin of our hearts we are dead, if we take Paul at his word, right, that we are spiritually dead, we take him seriously, that's what we, if in the sin of our hearts we are dead, then certainly in the sinfulness of our hearts we can do nothing to become spiritually alive. We can do nothing to become spiritually alive. Friends, when was the last time you saw a dead man perform CPR on himself? It's been a while. I'd like to see that. Paul in Ephesians 2, and, and he, he uses the same illustration in Colossians 2, uses this, this stark image of death, of spiritual death, total inability to do anything for ourselves to describe our spiritual state apart from Christ. We are dead. Because it's what best describes what it means to have, as, as Ezekiel says, and as Jesus kind of points us to, what it means to have a heart of stone that must be replaced with a heart of flesh. Stony hearts, hard hearts, mired in sin, calloused by selfishness, are dead to God's righteousness. And they're only able to continue in sin and rebellion against God. That's all a dead heart can do is what it's always been doing. Keep on being dead. And friends, apart from Christ, that is all of us. All of us are dead in sin, unable to bring about spiritual lives, spiritual life for ourselves. Here's the thing. In life, we too often judge our level of sinfulness, our level of spiritual deadness against the worst examples of human history, the worst examples of sin that we can find. I'm really not that sinful because I'm not a murderer I've never, you know, extorted anybody for money. I've never victimized anyone. I'm not that bad. Sure, I've lied. Maybe I've fudged my time card here and there. 
Maybe I've erupted in anger from time to time, but I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. Surely I'm not as spiritually dead, spiritually ugly as fill in the blank. But in that sort of calculus, we tend to come out not looking so bad, and yet at the same time we're self-deceived about how unrighteous we really are. And if we don't come out looking so bad, we tend to convince ourselves that we're surely not so dead, right? The problem with that way of thinking is that it has the wrong reference point for righteousness. We can't gauge our level of life or righteousness, spiritual life or spiritual righteousness against the darkest forms of sin that we can perceive. We have to gauge life and righteousness, our spiritual life and righteousness against the standard, not of total evil in our minds, but against the standard of true life and righteousness, which we know from God's word is Christ. In our house, we have uh, white trim throughout the house, white baseboards, uh, white door casings, white doors on all of the bedrooms. Uh, I didn't do it that way. It's how we bought the house. If I had it my way, I'd probably do it differently, but that's a lot of work. But when I look at the white trim around all the doors of my house, the white baseboards throughout all of the house, when I look at them and I compare them to the floor of the garage, the trim looks spotless, pristine, because my garage floor is filthy. You could sweep that thing six times a day and it's still going to be dirty somehow. The way the wind blows, there's just always dirt in my garage. Drives me crazy. But, so if I I judge my trim against the garage floor, my trim looks really pristine. But if I were to take a can of fresh paint of the same color that all that trim was painted, it's not exactly white, it's kind of off-white, but you get the idea, and paint a fresh coat over just half of the door, or half of the door frame, or just over a part of the baseboard, do you know what I would find? The trim in my house is filthy. So, friend, in our sins, few and minor as they may appear from our perspective, compared to the holiness of God, the purity and righteousness of Christ, in our sins we are found to be truly dead. And truly stuck in a pattern of selfish and sinful living unless something happens to us. So here's the upshot. When God regenerates you, when you are born again by his initiative and his action, you get a new heart. You get a new will. You get a new disposition and orientation on life and perspective on the world and on righteousness. One that is not hardened against God in the dirtiness of your sin, but now softened and supple and responsive to his grace. God gives you a will that loves to please him and to selflessly serve others out of your love for God who loves people. God gives to you a disposition when you are born again that instinctively recoils at the thought of committing sins that just yesterday you had no problem committing. When God regenerates you, when he causes you to be born again from above, he gives you a whole new life. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18, he says, From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. That stony, hard, calloused heart covered over by sin, stuck in selfishness and rebellion against God, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, says Paul, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Peter, the apostle, uh, uh, the spokesman of the apostles for Jesus, as we read in our call to worship this morning, 1 Peter 3, uh, 1, 3 through 5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, there again you see God's initiative, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is good news. Regeneration means God is giving you new life, a new heart new desires, a new disposition, no longer to seek what is good for you in your own mind, but to seek what is right for you according to the design of God for his creatures, to bear the image of his son and to declare and proclaim his glory in all creation. This is good news, friends, that regeneration is new life because in Christ you are no longer a slave to sin, but you're a creature with a renewed nature. You've been made new from the inside out, made able to love God freely and deeply without any hint of rebellion or desire to push apart, push away from him. But instead, every desire to hold, hold fast to him, to grow close to him. This is what God does when he renews our hearts, when he causes us to be born again by the cleansing water of his spirit. He makes us to glory in his presence when before we tried to run from it. Regeneration brings about new life. And dear Christian, this is good news. It's good news for you, good news to walk in, good news to remind yourself of, and it's good news to share with others who are stuck in their sin and are tired of it, who see no way out, who recognize that they are spiritually dead and can do nothing for themselves. Friend, it is good news to tell them that God longs to make them new in heart and life, to give them a new life, to make them a new creature. There is hope for not just forgiveness from sin, but freedom from sin. There's hope for not just no longer struggling in in our rebellion against God, but delighting in the righteousness that God gives to us in Christ. So we see that regeneration is the initiating work of God. He, he starts it in us. Regeneration brings about a new life, not just a new appendage, but a whole new life altogether. And as we see throughout Scripture, regeneration, being born again, bears fruit. It bears fruit. When God works this miracle of bringing dead souls to life in Christ, friends, he never intends for it to be a private action that stays private. It's not, ha- it's not something that happens in the, in the quiet of your closet at home and stays there. It should be and will be distinguishable by others. A new life will bear fruit. So what does a life that has been born again from above look like? What does a regenerated life look like? Well, if we return to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and following, where God says, I'll sprinkle you with clean water and cleanse you from all your uncleanness. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. There in Ezekiel 36, we see what the fruit of a new life, of a regenerated life, looks like. The result of God cleansing his people and putting a new heart within them is that, as Ezekiel says, is that they walk in God's statutes and they obey his design for living. They obey his commandments from the inside out. That's how it happens. 
This means that they won't have to be reminded by the reading of the law to honor God and to worship Him only. They won't have to be reminded by the reading of the law to repent of, making a, of the making of idols or to carry His name purposely and intentionally in the world. These and, and all of the other commands that God gives to His people for godly living in His people, in His new covenant people, will not have to be pressed into them from the outside but rather will flow out from the heart instinctively. The new life bears fruit. Actions, ultimately, always betray the true nature of a person's heart. What we do, what we say, gives a glimpse to those who observe as to what's really inside of us. And here you know I don't mean your physical heart that pumps blood through your body, but your heart in terms of your soul. This is what's deeply tied to who you are. What comes out of your mouth, the things that you do, points to what's really going on here. Actions always betray the true nature of a person's heart. Jesus said that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Jesus said that good trees cannot bear bad fruit. So if you see a tree with good fruit, good fruit, good root. You make that connection. The life, the fruit, the actions of a person who's been born again by God from above Their life will bear resemblance. It will bear uh, a reflection, imitation of His character. If God puts His Spirit in us, if God puts the heart of flesh that He desires to be in us, then what comes out of us will be things that God loves, that God desires to come out of us, things that reflect His character, His person, His Son. Hearts that have been brought to life to love Christ will keep His commandments Not out of obligation to please those who press them in on us, but hearts that have been brought to life, to love Christ, will keep His commandments out of the joy of living for the purpose that God has given to us in Christ. We will delight in righteousness. We will delight in repentance. We will delight in saying, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm I'm asking God to change this in me. Knowing that regeneration bears fruit, you may be asking this morning, how will I know if I'm bearing fruit of the new birth? How will I know if my life looks like this? Well, first of all, friend, determine whether or not you have been born again by God. That's the first step. Before we even talk about what the fruit looks like, you need to determine whether or not you've been born again by God. As we said earlier, this isn't something that you can do for yourself. You don't tie your spiritual new birth to an action of walking down an aisle, of being baptized on a Sunday morning, of praying a specific prayer with specific words. We don't tie our new birth to those things. We know this is something that God does in us. So don't look to an experience, a physical experience, as evidence of your new birth. Instead, reflect on what you have come to know of your own inability to come to God in the deadness of your sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. No dead man ever performed CPR and brought himself back to life. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of your need that you need or at one time needed God to bring life about in you that you could not do for yourself? Have you realized that? Have you taken yourself from a position of trying to prove your goodness to God to instead stand before Him empty-handed and poor in spirit, seeking only what He can give? Have you been in that position in life? Have you come to see that God's greatest blessing to you is not happiness or health or wealth in this life, but God's greatest gift of blessing to you is His Son, Jesus? Have you recognized that? And have you trusted Him? 
Have you trusted Christ? Have you given Him control of your life? Have you depended upon Him, heart, mind, and soul for all things, including spiritual and especially spiritual life and rebirth in Him? This is what Jesus tells Nicodemus he has to do to enter the kingdom, to have eternal life. He has to look on the Son of God, Jesus Himself, when He is lifted up on the cross as one who became sin for us. Jesus uses this uh, reference back to the Old Testament book of Numbers, an event in the life of the people of Israel as they were, uh, as they've been uh, uh, rescued from slavery in Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness those 40 years. There was a time where the people, for their grumbling, received the judgment of God on them by God sending snakes to bite them and make them very ill. Some of them died. And then Moses, interceding for the people, gets a word from the Lord that what Moses needs to do for the curing of the people is he needs to craft a serpent out of bronze, put it on top of a stick, on top of a staff, and hold it up in front of the people. And God says, everyone who looks on the serpent will live and be healed. What is this a picture of? Well, it's a picture of the very thing that is killing them, looking on it with dependence upon God to be healed. So Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, those who look on Him and believe will have eternal life. What Jesus is saying, when I am lifted up on the cross, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I will become sin for them. I will become the image of the thing that is killing them. And when they look on me and believe, they will live. They will live. Friend, have you looked on Christ to do for you what you could not do for yourself? That's how you can know, first of all, if you have been born again. Can you, can you sing in your heart? Does your heart overflow with, with the words of, of, of praise and worship that Augustus Toplady wrote in 1776, that hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I... To the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown, and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Friend, is that the song of your heart? If so, if so, you know that all of your life, all of your spiritual life, everything, everything that is good in you, you are looking to for Christ to provide. If that is you, if you stand there before the cross saying, nothing in my hands I bring to prove my own righteousness, only to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress, Jesus. In all my dressing for myself, I've only managed to, to do it in rags. I need you to clothe me. Helpless, I look to you for grace. There's nothing I can do. I can't bring life to this dead soul. Jesus, only you can do it. Foul in my sin, I fly to the fountain of your grace. So wash me, Savior, or else I die. 
In you there is life alone. Friend, if that's the cry of your heart, if that's the song of your heart, you can have some confidence to know that God has given you new life in Christ. And then, if you've come to know Christ this way, if you've looked on the Savior, if you've looked on Christ lifted up, Him who has made sin for us so that in Him we can become the righteousness of God and say, Jesus, I'm yours and yours only. Then look to your actions. Look to the fruit of your life. Look to the words that you speak to see the fruit of new life, the fruit of regeneration that God works in you, the fruit of the Spirit of God flowing out from you from within. Again, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 says these words to the church in Galatia. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Dear Christian, are these your desires? Are you convicted when you are unloving or, patient, or impatient or out of control? Do you desire repentance and to be conformed to Christ in these ways? Are you cultivating these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in your own life through walking in life with Christ with other Christians as you pray for one another, as you confess your sins, as you study God's Word together? Are you praying that God would develop the fruit of the Spirit in you and in candor with other believers, asking them to show you where the fruit of the Spirit is not evident? If so, then you can, you can have some assurance that the fruit of the Spirit is being worked out in you. How can I know if I'm bearing fruit with being born again? Well, Paul gives us this short list of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Friend, use that as a mirror for your own life. And not a mirror to justify the times that you have been loving or full of joy or patient. But use them as a mirror to show you the things that perhaps you don't want to see. Your lack of self-control. Your faithlessness your quarrelsome nature. Ask God, show me where the fruit of the Spirit is not in me. And then God, by the same power that you brought new life in me, so also bear fruit in these ways. Here's the call of this aspect of the doctrine of salvation we call regeneration. To you, Christian, bear fruit of the new birth. Bear fruit of the new birth. Do it. It's what God gives you new life in Christ for, to live this way. Share the gospel boldly with those who don't know Christ. Trusting God to work in their hearts. Regeneration is a work of God. It's not anything that we do for ourselves. It's not anything that we do for anybody else. So if you're trusting the compelling nature of your speech to convince people to believe in Christ, you've misunderstood regeneration. Just proclaim Christ boldly and trust God with the results. And then cultivate in your own life I love that word cultivate. It's very agricultural. I don't have a green thumb, but I'd like to. I'd like to be one who can cultivate soil and bring about fruit of of the ground that blesses and brings life to other people. Cultivate in your life in Christ with daily, uh, cultivate your life in Christ with daily dependence on the Spirit. Dig into the soil of your own heart to weed out and pull out and ask God to, to, to rip out if necessary and put to death every pest, every disease, every weed, everything that threatens life in Christ. Do that. 
in order to bear out the character of Jesus in you. Christian, if you have been born again from above, bear fruit of the new birth. And if, friend, you're outside a relationship with Jesus today, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You wouldn't say that you're depending upon Jesus for salvation. Yet, I'm I'm glad that you're here today. But my invitation to you today is to be saved today. Be born again today. And not of your own doing. But simply by bringing all of your hurts and all of your sin and all of your rebellion against God and looking to Jesus who died for your sins on the cross and was raised again from the dead, be saved today. Pray in your own words, in your heart, a prayer like this, God, make me new. I am a sinner in need of your grace and the life that only you can give. I trust Christ, your son, to save me by his death for my sins. I believe you raised him from the dead to make me right with you, so take my sin from me. Give me a new heart to love you. Help me, Lord Jesus, to live a life that looks like yours so others may come to know you too. Friend, if you've not been born again today, you may receive new birth from God with a prayer that says something simply like, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Regeneration is the work of God to bring about spiritual life in the hearts of those that he saves. Friends, only he can do it. And when he does, he gives us a whole new kind of life. And as he does this, he intends for us to bear fruit of the new birth in life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, being conformed to the image of his son. This wonderful aspect of our salvation that we call regeneration calls each of us to trust God afresh and anew for ongoing renewal to depend upon the Spirit to refine and to purify our desires day by day. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of new birth, doesn't come all at once. And the truth of this reality calls us to walk by faith in Christ daily, giving evidence by our action that God has indeed brought us from spiritual death to life as only He could, wholly, perfectly, transformatively, and forever. Let's pray together.